Okay, again, we're uh, working through the Father series, The Fatherhood of God, and obviously the list there on the bottom shows uh, kind of where we've been. We started with begotten, we moved then to provides, uh, yesterday was directs, and this morning we're going to work through the Father disciples, disciples. And as you know, we've been doing recaps each morning. So what I'd like to do this time, we've been having the students read them. But if I could have Janine, if you could start back there uh, behind the students. And let's just come this way. And as we read through these recaps as to where we've been so far, right here. I guess we'll just jump over here to Harrison. Where was it? Here or here? The report teaches that the Messiah suffered, was substitute, and justifies the sinner. Okay, that was the begotten. Now we move to the recap of the Father provides, and let's just keep going. Just keep reading. The Father is the source of I guess it, yeah. Vince. Our greatest need of salvation, which comes to us through Jesus, was foreshadowed in Genesis, and flows to us from his divine power, giving us all things that pertain to life and Godliness. Some all things are the Holy Spirit, the Word, the water of life, and spiritual rest. Thank you. So those are what we went through, at least in, in part, as what we talked about with provides. Just keep on coming. Russell? Or No, I'm sorry, Joe. I skipped over. I'm sorry. Okay, let's just keep coming right across the aisle and into the students. So that's a lot that we've already covered, and I certainly uh, don't expect you to be able to retain all of that. It's a lot of information, and yet that's just part of what we've been through. But I think repetition is helpful to kind of keep us in thought and in mind as to where we've been. So this morning we're working through this section, The Father Disciples. And the subtitle or the tagline that was given to us uh, was teaching me to live. And uh, keep in mind as we go through these messages, I, I assume that it's all uh, obvious, but when we talk about any of these verbs, it's all going back to the Father. And I hope I haven't gotten uh, away from that, but we're talking about the Father discipling us, and it's the Father that teaches us to live. So this morning we want to, as we've been doing, have kind of three general categories that we'll look through. One is the requirements, or some requirements, of discipleship. Number two, we'd like to explore some methods of discipleship. And then we'll also talk about the results, or some results, of discipleship. So just for by way of working definition, I think we all know what the word means, disciple. As a noun, it's certainly a follower or a student of a teacher. That's the noun form. 
If we turn disciple into a verb, which is really more what we're talking about this morning, it means to train, to educate, to teach. And that's really what's been going on all week long. All of the speakers, devotions, the singing, all of us together have really been discipling each other by training, educating, teaching. But as we bring it into Christian discipling, which I think is even more specific to what we're involved in this week, uh, it's to routinely counsel one's peer or junior in their discipleship of Christ. And of course, it's important, just like the Apostle Paul in the italics there, both of those verses, the Apostle Paul is directing his hearers, his readers, to follow Christ or follow God. And of course, as we disciple one another, our target and our goal is not ourselves, but rather Christ or God. And you know, we've been working with this James 1, 17 and 18. So every morning as we've got here, we've read through this simultaneously or in unison. So let's do that now. Every good gift... And every Now notice that. Very good. What I'm interested in as far as discipling is this word here, creatures. This is what it means, a formation or a product. And that's really the goal and the idea of discipling, that we would be formed, conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the product, the target that we learned yesterday that God is directing us into that character and likeness of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a formation or a product. So let's think about the doorway to discipleship. And um, that I would just say it this way, just as a visual image, since I'm visual, you need to enter through a door. And in other words, by implication, if what I'm going to suggest, if you do not go through this door, you cannot be a disciple. There are requirements to discipleship. So let's talk about some of those requirements. I'm going to give you three that I think are very clear in Scripture. Maybe there's more, and you tell me if you think there are. But the first one, and we covered this in some form in Begotten, um, whose ever turn it is to read, please read the red, the red letters, please. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into the Notice the cannots. In other words, if we are not born again, if we're not placed into this, this family of God by being birthed again, we have no access to even see this kingdom or enter into the kingdom. So this is the first requirement. We must be born again. Number two, please read the red letters. And notice again, cannot be my disciple. This is very specific. And I think what Jesus is likely saying is if the people were coming out to hear him preach, and they were listening to what he said, but they were in the back of their mind more loyal to the ideology or to the thinking of their own family, Jesus is saying, if you're not going to put full loyalty and support into what I'm teaching, you can't follow me. You can't be a disciple. And I'm sure there's more application to that verse, too. There's people that have to actually sever ties with their family in order to follow Christ. Most of us don't have that experience. But, but what we have to do is to place full 
allegiance to Christ even over our family. So I just call it elevating faith over family. Number three, we must elevate sacrifice over self-centeredness. Who's ever's turn, please? And whosoever cannot bear his Again, we see this cannot. This is another requirement to walk through that door. We have to elevate sacrifice over self-centeredness. So take a look here at the bottom of the screen, this sentence, and just contemplate this. If I don't feel like I'm being discipled, could it be that I'm struggling with one of the requirements to enter into the door to discipleship? I think this is a rhetorical question. I'm asking it, and I think that this is probably, if I'm not feeling like I'm being discipled, then I'm going to suggest that something's wrong in those requirements in our life. Here they are again. Born again, faith over family, sacrifice over self-centeredness. I want to give you another picture of the door I said we have to enter in through a doorway to discipleship, but notice that Jesus very clearly says he is the door. So next reader, please. I am the door by me, and any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. So in another metaphoric or imagery, we could just simply say the doorway to discipleship is actually going into Jesus Christ more so. So I have an image here, just maybe picture this is the doorway to discipleship. When we get into Jesus Christ, we are going to find that we are going to be discipled very closely and intimate with Him. So both of, both, both of these images are saying the same thing. Entering into the doorway equals disciple is the same thing as entering into the door. Again, when we enter into the door, we are born again. And I, I did a little survey, and I know I'm going to digress just a moment here, but I want to talk to you just briefly. I know I discussed this a little bit with Born Again and Begotten, but I want to just tell you a little testimony for me. But these four words changed my life forever. And I was just telling you, I you know Raymond shared his testimony. Mine would be uh, maybe not as extreme, but I was 18 when I was baptized, got married when I was 24, but I think 10 years after I was baptized at the age of 28 is when I became born again. And I know what it was like to walk in church membership without being born again. And I know what happens when you become born again, how it set me into a position where I became more discipleable. Suddenly I wanted to follow Christ and be discipled. I mentioned this verse when we talked about the report, but I just want to digress and go back. And I, I did a little survey and asked several of you, if you died tonight, if you would have that 100% confidence that Anthony talked about, that you would go to heaven. So I want to talk about that a little bit here. But just if you remember in Romans chapter 4, it says, It was not written for Abraham his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. To whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Just to give you a little background, Abraham is being discussed in Romans 4 as having looked up into the sky. Paul is, is referencing Genesis 15 
when God told Abraham to look up in the sky and he says, as many stars as you see up there, that's what I'm going to make your family like. And then it says Abraham believed that promise and his faith was, was imputed or was counted to him for righteousness. So that's what Romans 4 is about. But what this comes down to say that it was not just for Abraham, but it's for us also. So what I want to suggest to us, and this is what helped me, is that when you become born again, you have a column in heaven or in the book of life that may have your name placed above it, and you are given a right standing or a place in heaven that is acceptable before God, not by what you have done in your works, but by your faith. We were on our way to western Kansas when I was 28. We stopped in at Merle and Judy Flores. I love Merle. We had a lot of fun talking about discussions and things spiritually. I remember asking Merle, how can we say we're saved? That's a past tense answer to a future tense event. How can we say we're saved? And we ended up in Romans 4 the next morning. And what I'm saying is that I never knew that I could have a position in heaven apart from my performance. That's what this is saying in Romans 4. Abraham believed God and he was given a righteous standing before God. And that's what, what Paul's driving at in Romans 4 is that that occurred before works or before circumcision. So what I want to show you is something that I remember Merle showed me. And if this is totally redundant and elementary, forgive me, but this has to do with being born again. And the reason it's important to me is until you get this, you're not discipleable. Because you cannot enter in if you're not born again. So what I want to point out is this line right here. And I'm going to call this your position. I'm calling that your position, or you could say... In the Blam's Book of Life, that's your name, and that's where you have a righteousness that's applied to your account. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Maybe I should have said, Abraham had a promise that he believed, which was about stars and family. You and I have a, a promise that we believe about Jesus being raised from the dead. But it was for us also, based on our faith and belief in the resurrection. If you believe in the resurrection this morning, and you're surrendered to Jesus Christ you have this account, this position. And it is fixed, and it is sure. But then there's this other thing, that this is life. It goes up and down. We go up, and we go down emotionally, and we're sometimes feeling like we are in this position. Sometimes we don't feel like we're in this position. This is called our condition. Those are the two words I remember Merle sharing with me. And so what happened to me is as we left eastern Kansas and went to western Kansas, the scriptures began to change to me because I began to see things like I'm seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. I have a position. Uh, I have been uh, translated from the kingdom or delivered from the kingdom of his darkness, a kingdom of his darkness, and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So when, Ant when somebody takes Anthony to the back corner of the farm and asks him, are you 100% sure? that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven? And Anthony said, yes. The reason he said that is because he knows he has a position that's given to him or imputed to him onto his account based on what Christ did and not on what we do. 
I am the door. If you enter in, he shall be saved. And then you'll go in and out, and you'll find sustenance and fulfillment as you are being discipled. One more thing, I remember sharing this. <clears throat> Let's just say that this is you, my hand is Christ, and these eyes are the Father. When you have this faith and you are born again, God chooses to view you through the lens of Jesus Christ. Now, He knows you're there, and there's nothing that is hidden before the, from the eyes of the Father. It's not that He doesn't know your sin and everything about you, but He chooses to impute His own righteousness onto your account. And so when He sees you, He sees His Son. That's really this idea of imputation. So I, I do that little uh, detour. I don't hope it's not a detour, but what I want to be sure is, is that you understand what helped me as I began to, became more discipleable because I became born again. So what happened to me as we left eastern Kansas, I'd never experienced this right here before. I never had. I was in turmoil. I would have never said yes to the question the man asked Anthony on the back corner of the farm. I would have said, absolutely not. I have no confidence because I was continually expecting my own righteousness to get me there. And I didn't even know it. But therefore, being made right by faith, I have peace with God. And here's how it happens. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ on my behalf. Let's move on. <clears throat> when we're going into the door of discipleship, we have to be born again. But when we're in Him, He places us into the family that is, that is an eternal family. And what happens is if you're, if you're just thinking logically, suddenly you begin to realize your eternal family is more important to you than your natural family. And that's what I said the second principle is, is that you elevate faith over family. And thirdly, when we are going into the door of Jesus Christ, we are right smack dab into the sacrifice and example that we need to be as we take up our cross for discipleship. So the tagline that was given to us in this section is disciple. When the Father disciples us, really, this is what He's doing. is He's teaching me to live. And we know we're talking about a life that's more than just natural air and uh, water and food. But, but this is a spiritual salvation and life. He shall be saved. He shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus would say in John 10, 10, B, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But remember, I'm not sure if you're writing things down, but those, you'll get these slides eventually. Again, those requirements are these. Born again, faith over family, elevate sacrifice over self-centeredness. So I want to talk now about three methods of discipling. <clears throat> and again, I'm, there may be more. But three that I want to talk to you about are these. Modeling which is showing by example, encouraging, which is cheering us on, and discipline or discipling, which is like chastening. 
what I want to think about again is how does this happen? What does it look like? And so whoever's turn it is to read the red letters, why don't we just read one, one uh, verse at a time, just from here to here and here to here and so forth. Whoever's turn. Know you what I have done to you, Master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Keep going. So we all know what that passage is about. <clears throat> I think of this as one of the most explicit and clear expressions where Jesus Christ made a very uh, good, or he, he was modeling here very, very clearly. You remember the story, they're in the upper room, it's getting uh, far on into the supper, uh, the feet haven't been washed, and so Jesus finally rises from supper. He takes a towel, and he begins to wash their feet. And what he's teaching and what he's modeling is that the greatest is one who serves, one who is humble, one who is not interested in trying to lord over the other. And probably a lot more things are being modeled here, but this is the way discipleship happens. This is one of the methods, is modeling. <clears throat> I, am, I marvel at how parents and children, how the, the children learns to do just what the parents do. They do that, they learn that from just observing and watching things modeled, and that's both good and that's bad. It can be either way. But this is one of the methods of discipling. Encouraging. Let's keep reading. Be of good cheer, not courage. It is I who not So these are scriptures that I thought of as some, they're all from Jesus, all have the red letter, but they were given to different places in scripture, different narratives to give people some encouragement. You remember this one is during the storm. They're out there and it's, the waves are crashing, the boat is rocking, it's scary, and Jesus comes to them walking on the water. They think it's a ghost, but he says, be of good cheer. That means to have courage. <clears throat> this one here in the middle is Jesus just generally speaking to the disciples. Brother Vince talked about how they were terrified that he was going to leave. And Jesus is telling them here, uh, just have faith and courage and be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And the last one is really Jesus speaking to the Apostle Paul as he's ministering in the book of Acts and Jesus is giving him encouragement. So here's the picture of the storm. <clears throat> Again, this is one of the ways that we are discipled is through encouragement. I think we all respond to encouragement. I can think... Some, I think maybe Raymond talked about birth order with David and being, Joseph being the youngest. I'm the youngest in the family. I don't know if it's that birth order or if it, what it is, but I would have been a, a, a child that grew up feeling very inadequate. <clears throat> and so words of encouragement mean a lot. 
And this is one of the ways that we are discipled. I can remember one time my older brother, I forget what the issue was, but I had left the family business by then. I don't remember all the details. But I remember him telling me, it was just a certain, a small sentence. He said, you'll figure it out. And you know, that, that sounds really insignificant to you. But to me, coming from him, that gave me a boost. This isn't like me to get emotional, so I'm uncomfortable in that. But you can see that encouraging words is an extremely important way to disciple. But there's also this. <laughs> Discipline. So let's keep reading. I think we're familiar with this, this passage, but Hebrews is telling us that if we don't experience chastening, <clears throat> really this is rhetorical, we're probably not a son. Another place it says we're bastards. But discipline is extremely important, and it's also a way of, of discipling. We know what's going on here. This is Jesus, I would say, bringing some discipline to the outer court of the temple when there was money changers uh, making profit of people, and Jesus has had all he can take, and he offers some discipline. So the methods, again, that I'm just presenting to us that the Father uses, and I should say the Father uses people, and I like what Raymond says about authority, the church structure, all these things can be used in these areas, but we're kind of keying everything back to the Father in particular. But I'm not trying to say that He doesn't use people, because that's exactly what He'll do and how He'll accomplish these things is through people. Now I want to talk about the results, or at least three, and they may not be all inclusive. But this is what I would say is is pretty sure is going to happen with effective discipling. There's going to be fruitfulness or bearing fruit. There's going to be more fruitfulness or continuing to increase. And there should be replenishing, which if you look at this word in Genesis, we'll sh right here, it's where we're taking these from. It does have an, a sense in which it, it has that outflow. Last night we saw the slide about the inflow. We need to have the outflow. This is what God told Adam and Eve, and I know the specific context here is probably just that God's telling Adam and Eve to fill the earth with people. But I think, in a sense, this is really the pattern and, and really the outline for effective discipleship. Fruit, multiply, replenish. So since I'm visual, here's a little uh, visual image of fruit, and notice it's just one. But that will glorify God. Just one. Fruit bearing. That's how discipleship works. It's a result to bear fruit. But we want to go further. And now we see multiple grapes. 
that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. This is another result of discipling. Replenish, impacting others. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, this is, I believe, in your memorization, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And that's one thing I'm appreciating about this week. That's what's going on amongst us all through the week. And hopefully that's going to happen today in Seattle. I want to just point out some things that I think affect fruitfulness. And I'm going to say environment is extremely important. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but this is a true life experiment where scientists took two sharks. They were the same age same size and they put one in a box a contained environment they put the other one in a very expansive and open environment and they fed them both the same but guess what happened this one here never outgrew his environment he stayed right there even though he continued to eat this one, on the other hand, had an open environment that was liberating and expansive, and he grew into a full, mature-sized shark. I'm suggesting to us that in order for us to be fruitful, we need to be careful about our environment. And here's how I would say would be three principles as to how to be subjected and keep ourselves in the right kind of environment. And they are, immerse yourself in God's Word. We've said that dozens of times, all of us, this week, engage in Christian fellowship, and I think Brother Vince would probably say make sure it's biblical Christian fellowship. I should have added that word. And spend time in prayer. This is the recipe for the environment in which you will be fruitful in a, as a disciple of the Father or of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the next one, exercise. <clears throat> we need exercise. Now, I would like to be the man in the middle because he's bald for one and I wish I didn't have hair to deal with. But also, I would rather be him than slobber and this kind of a look here. But there, there does take effort to be exercised. Exercising to be a disciple. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. I think I have time to tell it, but... The story goes that years ago they were trying to figure out how to ship cod from the northeast coast in the, of the United States to the, to the California coast. And so they caught a lot of cod fish and they put them on ice and put them on train cars and shipped them across the country. And they, the, cods went in, the cod fish went into the restaurants in California. And they began to say, well, this, we can tell it's cod and we believe you that it's cod, but it doesn't have any taste. So we don't want any more cod from the Northeast. So the marketers of the cod, they thought, well, what should we do about that? We've got to figure out a way to keep the cod fresh. So they said, well, let's get the cod. Let's put them in train cars with water tanks, and we'll just keep them alive all the way across the country. And then when they get there, they'll clean them in California. So they did that. And the California restaurant people, they took them, they cleaned them, they put them in their menus, and they said, well, we got the taste, but they're mushy. So we don't want any more cod. So the marketers of the codfish didn't know what to do. They just about gave up. They said, we'll just keep the cod on the east. We'll be fine. 
just forget it. But then one person said, hey, what about the catfish? He said, I suggest that we try this. Let's do what we did. We'll put the cod in the tanks, the water tanks on the train cars, but in every tank we'll put one or two catfish. And what they knew about the catfish is the catfish is kind of an adversary of the cod. So the cod are always trying to stay alert and stay away from the catfish. And so the catfish in the fish tanks kept the codfish very, very active and exercised. So when the cod got to California, they went into the restaurants of California and they said, now this tastes like cod just like we tasted on the northeast, on the eastern coast. Now we could probably make a lot of spiritual applications, but all I'm trying to say here is that exercise keeps us in the game, keeps us fresh, and keeps us where we need to be in regards to discipling. Exercise. So how should we keep ourselves fruitfully fit or in exercise? And notice the redundancy. I'm saying the same three things. This is how we stay exercised. Not only is this important for our environment, but be in God's Word, engage in biblical Christian fellowship, and spend time in prayer. <clears throat> Same three points. Last thing we want to talk about is evangelism. I think that's where we're going today, but replenish impacting others. Now, I'm not quite this extreme, but I'm certainly not quite as comfortable probably as Simeon is, Simeon Shankster. <clears throat> My experiences of evangelism have been... Uh, Few and far between. Most of the time that I deal with that is on an airplane seat. I fly some for my work. And most of the time people put the earbuds in and they really don't want to talk to you. And that's okay. And I'm not very forceful. But one thing that <clears throat> my main experience is just being ready to give answer. Being ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within. But anyway, what I'm saying here is that I think especially there's probably a lot of us that this is the last thing we like to do is to go out and have to share with people and face the fears of what we're going to run into. And so I'm looking forward to this too. But this is what I think is a result of discipleship, is evangelism. Here again is this outflow. We need to be engaged in this. This needs to be a regular uh, lifestyle that we are always living out that we are willing to take the fruitfulness that we have been, that has been preached into us and let it flow out to others. And so how can we be active in evangelism? Well, you notice again the points haven't changed. <clears throat> God's Word. We need to have a God's Word in our hearts so that when people are coming up to us that are atheists or Jehovah's Witnesses, that we really know what the Word of God says, right? We have to have that in there so, we can so that we can defend the truth. This is how we get strength. I like it that we're doing this together. Be good for us to kind of support each other. And, of course, we need to cover evangelism in prayer. <clears throat> so here I am just going to recap so far, I guess, really what we've been through. First of all, I said there's three requirements for discipling. You must be born again. We must place our loyalties really on the Lord more than our family's ideology or our relationships with our family and sacrifice 
over self-centeredness. That's the way we enter into the door of discipleship. <clears throat> I said there's at least three methods of discipling. Maybe there's more, but there's modeling, there's encouraging, and there's discipline. And even though we're talking about the Father, the fatherhood of God, <clears throat> just keep in mind, and we'll talk about legacy tomorrow, how that we need to be involved in this, this, and this. I mean, this one especially, only in the realms that we have jurisdiction, like parents over children. But don't forget, this is our model and our way to, to behave ourselves as well. Recap, there are three results <clears throat> of discipleship, being fruitful, being more fruitful, and then letting it spill out to touch others. So there, again, is our topic, teaching me to live. So let me just ask you a couple of questions just to consider. And this goes back to my little sidebar of being born again. Since I have some time here, maybe I, there is one more thing I thought I might illustrate about this while we're on this right here. But this is something else that makes sense to me as far as believing or having faith in your position. I remember Merle showed me this too. So he drew this ground, there's a big chasm. And then he said, let's just put like a goal over here. Now, not necessarily the cross, but he said, now let's put a uh, tightrope across here. And he said, we're going to put three parts of ourselves or the way that we think on this tightrope. I don't know if I'm blocking, but the first, just use stick figures. And this person is called fact. We could call them the promises of God, but we're going to use each one that starts with an F. So that's fact. The second person that gets on this tightrope is faith. And so, what's going on here as we go across the tightrope is fact has his eye on the goal. Faith has his eye on fact. Now, the third person, I remember Merle Drim Great Big. This one is called feeling. The reason we draw him bigger is because we relate so much to our feelings. So everything's going fine as long as feeling has his eye on faith and faith has his eye on fact and fact has his eye on the goal. Everybody's getting along just fine on the tightrope. But the minute that this stops and feeling starts looking somewhere else, then everybody falls. Now fact will never fall, but our faith and our feeling begins to fall. The point of this, this illustration is, is that we cannot let our feelings dictate whether we have a position in heaven or not. So that's why I say, when you think about your position and your condition, this is real. And feelings will help you feel guilt. And it'll help you confess. It'll help you through life. But feelings will not change this. What we have to do is keep our eyes on the facts, which, like I say, is the word of God. 
But we need to know what the facts are. So that goes back to knowing truth. The question is, do you have peace with God? If you don't, I wonder about the evidence of new birth. Are you more loyal to Jesus or your natural family? And maybe there's other ways to, to put this in words. Maybe you could just say your, your boss or your culture or your peers. Is your loyalty here? This is an important aspect or a requirement of discipleship. Again, are you, are you elevating self-sacrifice over self-centeredness? Are you taking up your cross daily and denying yourself, having the mind of Christ? Just some more questions. I would say that when I got emotional a moment ago about my brother, I think that was the Lord. It was my brother, but my brother was speaking an encouragement to me that really was something coming really from, a, from, the, from the Lord. Can you think of times when you have been encouraged by the Lord? Hopefully you can. How about this one? And I hope you can think of some examples of this as well, because this is one of the proof texts that we are sons or daughters of God, the Father, is that we have experienced chastening. I remember not long ago we had a message at Bear Creek, and it was on chastening. I thought I understood it, but it was the week later that I really did see that God was chastening me in some areas. Anyway, I can think of something. Are you willing to share your faith with others? And um, as I said, I'm willing, um, but it's scary. But we're going to learn a little bit more about that by seeing it modeled today. And really, this is what we're, we're getting really ultimately to. Are we a disciple? Are you a disciple? of Jesus Christ. I have a song, and we know this, I'm assuming that it's familiar. Does everybody know this song, or know it? Well, I can start it, but hopefully there's enough of you that will sing along. Really what this is all about is this right here. Okay. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, trying to follow our Savior and King, shaping our lives by His blessed example. Happy, how happy the songs that we bring. How in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of Closely to him who is leading 
our praise as each day. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, as of light, walking in footsteps of gentle forbearance, footsteps of faithfulness, mercy, and love, looking to Him for the grace freely promised. Happy, how happy our journey above. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, let it pass apart. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, upward still upward we follow our guide. When we shall see Him, the King in His beauty, Happy, how happy our place at His side. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we continue to think about you and your perfection and the way that you express yourself to us through your word, we just pray, Lord, that we could be more like you. We could walk in your steps. And even though the song says it's beautiful, sometimes it's painful. And so help us to accept that as chastening, discipline, bringing us into those perfect gifts that you have for us. And that you would continue to work in our lives, conforming us to your image and making us fruitful, that we would bear more fruit, that we would actually impact others, that the things that you place into our lives would flow out of our lives, that your kingdom would be enlarged and would be multiplied and the earth would be replenished with your truth and with you yourself. So continue to work with us. Thank you for each of these young people. May we each come to terms with who you are and that we can have peace with you through Jesus Christ, through your shed blood. Or I just want to thank you as we've experienced times of confession. And it's just brought me into just a little picture of what you see every time you see a congregation. People that have sin and failure 
and struggle, and yet you accept us in the Beloved. And we just thank you, as we sang in the beginning, that we know, yes, we know that your blood can cleanse us from every sin. In Jesus' name, amen.